you'll open your Bibles to the prophet Micah, the fifth chapter, a very, very familiar uh, Advent passage of Scripture about the tiny village of Bethlehem and its part in biblical prophecy, biblical history, and in our own uh, story of salvation. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. And before I read that, I'd like to lead us in a time of meditation and prayer. If you would bow your heads with me, please. Our gracious God, we want to simply be silent in your presence and soak up some of the glory and wonder of this season. And we realize, as we march through the Sundays of Advent, that these truths are always in effect, but somehow they become more real and more precious to us during this season of the year. And that gives us great joy. We have great joy this morning that you have loved us so perfectly and through your grace You've given us, as Scripture says, eternal comfort and good hope. We pray that this morning you would come among us and stir up your great power within our hearts and within our congregation, within our community, that you would pour out your blessings and your comfort on all who need you today, those who are grieving and who find the holidays to be terribly painful, those who are struggling with illness and poverty and homelessness, those who are dealing with family and marriage problems. We pray your very special grace upon all those who are suffering. We ask also your blessing and protection upon those in our armed forces, especially those who are separated from family and those who are serving in places of danger. And we pray that truly, in the name of the Prince of Peace, that peace might come to our world uh, in a very, very troubled world, that you might manifest yourself in, in glorious ways. We pray for those who've experienced the horrors of wildfires in California and those who are still recovering from hurricanes and floods. And we ask God that you gather us up now and help us to once again be reminded of all the quiet ways you come in the back door of our lives and the way you do things among us, and sometimes we haven't even paused to realize your glorious presence. Guide us as we understand your word and as we worship you. We pray in the name of Jesus who gave himself for us. Amen. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, and if you're able, would you stand please as I read aloud God's word. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. The word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, we're thinking together uh, this Advent season, the sermon series is the music of Christmas because we're reminding ourselves of the power of music. Music has a way of teaching us and changing us uh, in, in deep and profound ways that, that mere words cannot. Uh, I heard the testimony of a man who said that for a while for his morning devotions, his discipline of daily quiet time with scripture and prayer, he uh, took the advice of his pastor and he found a quiet corner of his house early of a morning and he would sing aloud a hymn or a chorus from church and he said it was amazing how that enriched his private worship time because he realized that uh, sometimes when we just pray silently and read scripture silently it tends to only be in our heads and he found that a moving experience and then he added this he said I also discovered that you can't sing and be angry at the same time that somehow singing gets us past some of the gunk and the grudges and the, and the unhappiness in our own lives. Uh, I've been a bit sobered uh, to realize that there's a lot in Scripture about how there's going to be singing in heaven, but there's nothing about preaching in heaven. So that's been uh, rather disconcerting for me. Uh, it looks like, Rod, I bet on the wrong horse, huh? What can I say? Well, it's not just the music, the melody, it's, it's the words of, uh, of the songs that teach us so much. And, and I've been challenging you as your pastor uh, this Advent season to pay attention to the words. We sing the Christmas carols so much, we don't even hear the words. And we need to mean what we say and say what we mean and let those words teach us and grow us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we are thinking about the Christmas carol uh, that we sang earlier, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written by Phillips Brooks, a, an Episcopal pastor. Uh, he was pastoring in Philadelphia at the time he wrote the words of this carol. Uh, it was 1868, just a few years after the Civil War. He later, by the way, parenthetically, just some trivia that you might find interesting, he later pastored the famous Trinity Church in Boston. Some of you who have been to Boston have driven by that very famous church. He is the man who introduced Helen Keller to the Christian faith. He witnessed to her and shared Christ with her. He was so famous that when he died, 20,000 people came to pay tribute to his life. So he, he was a pastor who had a lot of impact on lives. But in 1868, he was still pastoring in Philadelphia. And he wrote this song, he wrote the words, uh, for the children in his Sunday school. He wanted them to have a new carol to sing for Sunday school. He only wrote the words. He went to his organist, and uh, before Christmas, he said, uh, make up a melody to go with these words. And you know, that's what pastors do. We walk up to organists and worship pastors, and we say, here... Make up some music. Well, the, uh, the organist was named Louis Redner, and he worked on it and worked on it, and he just could not come up with a melody, anything that worked. And then he, by his own testimony, he was restlessly trying to sleep one night, and he says, an angel whispered in his ear, 
He sat up. He took some, some paper and he, and he wrote down quickly the melody that had come into his head. And the next morning, he added the harmony. And thus we have, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. What a beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol. Now, Phillips Brooks, the pastor who wrote the words, was a pastor and a trained theologian, and he knew well the Micah 5 text, the Micah 5 text that is before us. Uh, He knew verse 2 very well, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, it will be you who will bring forth the one to rule Israel. Now you see, that is a prophecy that has a a two-way direction. You see, in ancient times, cities were valued based on how many troops they could provide the king's army. A city was considered valued if it could, if it could muster at least 1,000 soldiers to contribute to the king's army for the national defense. But Bethlehem was so small that she could not even make the minimum requirement to be recognized as a worthwhile city. Just a tiny village. And yet out of this village that could not produce enough soldiers... King David was born. The greatest king of Israel who reigned over Israel's golden era out of that little tiny village. And what's more, Bethlehem is the village where Jesus was born. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 6, Herod is all confused about the wise men who've come to visit. He's growing very jealous and very curious And he asked the scribes, and he asked the religious leaders, what in the world is going on? And they quoted Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They quoted Micah 5, 2, and they used that verse in Matthew's gospel. So get the picture here. Both King David and King Jesus come from families that are not well-connected politically, They did not attend the great universities of their day. And they did not come from a huge, sprawling metropolis. They came from this tiny backwater town, just a village. You know, sometimes pedigree is overrated, right? Sometimes pedigree is overrated. And God is so... Full of surprises. God likes to come in the back door. God likes to do things in ways uh, when we're not watching and in ways we don't expect. Let me give you an example of that. The context of Micah, who prophesied early in Israel's history. Now, it was long after David had been king, and after David had been king, the kings uh, that followed him, the moral failures, the the godlessness, the the lack of ability to listen to the Spirit, the nation began to crumble, and in Micah's time, there, there was this deep oppression from enemies. The enemy had his, 
his boot heel on the neck of Israel, Judah, and was about to destroy them. And I'm sure all of the Jews were looking for a Messiah to come. And what they were expecting was Messiah to come with lots of noise, with lots of pomp and grandeur, with lots of fireworks in the sky, and defeat their enemies, and establish them as the great kingdom once again. They wanted lots of pyrotechnics. But instead, God comes in the back door through this little town of Bethlehem. You know, we're that way, aren't we? We want God to help us, and we'd like it to be noisy and really dramatic. We want God to come on our timetable, and we want God to do it our way. And especially, if we're asking God to zap our enemy, we'd really like that to be with a little bit of noise and a little bit of grandeur, right? But instead, while we're looking for the big and the bombastic, God's slipping in the back door. And he's doing it quietly, almost imperceptibly, if we're not looking. In one of Brian McLaren's recent books, he talks about the dangers of market globalization. What's happened to our world is that we have become a planet of consumers in which everything is measured by bottom line dollar value the pomp and the glory of the world's ways, bottom line profit. It always has to be bigger. It always has to be better. It always has to be faster. It always has to be more magnificent. We're at a place in uh, globalization in which the individuals are not viewed as having intrinsic worth, but individuals are only worth value based on what they can contribute to the global markets, just a cog in the machinery of world consumption. And Brian McLaren reminds us that in the midst of that big bombastic pomp and power, we sometimes miss the quiet, the silent ways that people make ethical choices the silent ways that people show courage and follow Christ, the invisible ways that people love and serve, out of the glare of the camera, but faithfully live the gospel and the kingdom of God. And you know, one of the things that happens with familiar hymns and carols is that the third verse doesn't get sung as often. When you listen to recordings of O Little Town of Bethlehem, uh, often the third stanza is left off because they're doing a medley or they they want to get as many songs on their their recording as possible uh, or for whatever reason. But I have been particularly touched as I've reflected on this sermon series by verse 3 of O Little Town of Bethlehem. And I want you to think about how it connects with what Brian McLaren said about how we miss the small invisible things that make such a difference. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. 
No ear may hear his coming. There's lots of noise out there. Lots of valuing of the big and bombastic. But where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. I want you to think about that for a moment. Henry Nouwen is a one I quote occasionally, a, a prolific author. He's since passed away. He wrote the book The Wounded Healer. Many of you know about that. And uh, he was at a time in his life where he was a very popular lecturer. He was cranking out books and everything he wrote was practically a bestseller. He wrote for Christians on their journey. Uh, he was professor at an Ivy League university. He basically could write his own ticket. Everything was going great except he was miserable because of what he described as the numbing effect of continual competition to do more and to do better. What he described as the relentless pressure to produce. If you can do this well, then you should be able to do it well plus more. And he finally just walked away from it. And you know what he did? He went to Lima, Peru, and lived with a poor family. He lived in a very small house, but where there was lots of love, lots of Christian faith. He played with the children. They sat on his lap. They sang. They played games. The children giggled. And Henry Nouwen says that the children hugged life back into him. Their hugs made him feel alive again. And then he made this observation. He said, you know, there's a paradox. Sometimes it's the oppressed and the poor people of the world who have a deeper understanding of God's love than we do in the West who live with all kinds of material privileges. Sometimes it's the poor and oppressed who have nothing, who experience the depth of God's love in the way that we cannot because we're so attached to all the junk and all the stuff that we think bring meaning to life. Is it any wonder that Jesus is so often quoted as saying during his earthly ministry, the first will be last and the last will be first? Is it any wonder that he says that? This one who was born in this no-name village of Bethlehem? The only time we ever quote that verse is when uh, we're behind somebody in line at the fellowship meal. And we laugh and say, you know, the first will be last, last will be first. And we joke about it. We never take it seriously that Jesus was saying, we need to pay attention. Jesus gave us that quote to help us, to set us free, to make sure that we were delivered from living for things that don't matter, that could never bring us joy. And by the way, that Jesus who so often said, the first will be last and the last first, he's the same one who lived a very nondescript life of a peasant rabbi and was executed by the ruling empire of his day. And they, as they crucified him, thought, well, he's of no consequence. 
or so it seemed. And then when he breathed his last, there was silence. And everybody around him thought, his life is of no consequence, or so it seemed. But then he came back from the dead, and we're still talking about him today, aren't we? Say this aloud with me, please. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Pray with me, please. Open our hearts, mighty God to the tender and the tiny and the seemingly invisible that you are doing in our hearts and in our world and come dwell among us. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.